This is Bonjour Chai, the crass commercial Hanukkah edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon in Toronto and David Sklar in Calgary. We are your frozen chosen. On today's show, we round out our Bonjour Chai book club with a Leonard Cohen biography, and we will examine the Hanukkah movie Phenomenon. Is it good for the Jews? Stay tuned to find out. But first, Alana, David... Have you joined our Slack channel yet? Yes. Have you, David? Yes, absolutely. I've been creeping on there for the past week. It was fun going on because I saw someone uh, like my music recommendation from last week, which yes. made me very happy. I saw that as well. I loved your music recommendation last week. It yes. was totally um, made my weekend. Aren't anyways. they amazing? Anyway, go on. Go I on. have yet to listen to them. I should. Yeah. So anyways, we're slowly building a community on Slack uh, where listeners of the show can chat with us, can chat with each other, have their own opinions heard. Um, we have opinions about topics we discuss. Uh, we know that. We know that you do too. Uh, this is the space for that. Uh, join our Slack channel by sending an email to bonjour at the cjn.ca and we will get you in. We will also soon be announcing some really cool opportunities that will only be available to those who are on the Slack channel. So get cracking. Chop, chop. Yeah. Congratulations to the winner of last week's book pick, Nothing the Same, Everything Haunted. Our book winner that last week was Lily Honig. And if you want to win this week's book, just send us an email at bonjour at the cjn.ca. That's bonjour at the cjn.ca. In January 2017, Michael Posner began work on a new oral history of Leonard Cohen. He had previously written a similar book on Mordecai Richler and a, his done biography of Anne Murray. But as he writes in the introduction, uh, he had no idea that he would end up interviewing over 500 subjects and that the work would grow to three volumes. Uh, the second volume has recently been released and it covers the time period between 1971 after he had just finished his first international tour and goes until the late 80s when Cohen was, to paraphrase CBS head Walter Yetnikoff, acknowledged as great, but there were doubts as to whether he was any good. So... What do you guys think? How do you relate to this book? Well, the first thing I want to bring up is, was this really a book? Avi, we talked about, you know, a few weeks ago, Gideon's Bible itself, and you thought maybe this could have been done as a podcast or it could have been done as a documentary series. And this is what I was really wondering as I was reading it. It really just, it really was just people's little anecdotes about Leonard itself and their relationship to Leonard. Um which I, I was reading and I'm like, is this actually a book itself? Is there commentary on his life? So it almost felt like this was the book that could have been a podcast or a documentary where people come in and they give their opinions on, on their relationship with him. Right. Well, I know that the author, he calls it an oral biography and he wanted to let the reader decide what to think as opposed to inserting his own opinion, which is an interesting way of doing it. But I see what you mean. Like, I think this could have made a really interesting documentary or even a documentary theater piece. And I know he mentions that he just wanted to leave the the reader with their own opinions, but he does make comments throughout as well, too. He sort of says, well, you know, this person was very hurt by Leonard or this person didn't understand. Right. So even though he says that, he, he still gives his opinion throughout and navigates the story. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on that point, on the style point, I think that there's a, a renewed idea behind the... Oral histories are a long tradition in literary, you know, circles. Um, what's interesting about 
the current age that we're in with this podcast boom, with uh, audiobooks becoming much more prevalent, is that there's a recognition that oral histories can be done in a different medium where you're actually hearing the people's voices as they are coming along. Um, the problem I would think of in this uh, version is that you wouldn't be able to remember all the different voices. Right. We're talking, like I said, this 500 characters that he interviewed, they don't all show up in volume two. Yeah. But you have to be sitting there and asking yourself, who is this one and who is that one? And not wanting to necessarily hear, you know, this person's name followed by this person's interview and that person's. And it'll start getting a little jarring. Um, I think that what he's doing here stylistically is sort of saying, listen, I spoke to a lot of people. Right. And the my take on who he is is not my take it's the the agglomeration of all of these voices who are all saying this who are sometimes dissenting and you can form your own opinion i'm not going to be journal i'm not going to be you know authorial and decide one opinion is better than another but stylistically he's just saying here is the story of this person's life here is um the way in which we can um you know, understand this person by the facts of his life, by the actions of his life, um, and you want to editorialize that is at your will. Um, so stylistically, it's interesting. It's different. Um, I found it uh, an interesting read. Uh, it was pretty quick. Uh, I found that because it was conversational, I didn't find that it, uh, it, it it dragged down over and over into 500 pages of analysis. Quick for a 400 plus. Quick for a 400 plus. <laughs> <laughs> Avi, did you read the first book or did either of you read the first yes, book? Yes, I did read the first book. Um, and I can't wait, actually, for the second one. You mean the third I, one? I you just read the second one. For the third that's one, that's what, what I meant. About. Sorry. Um, can't wait <laughs> how for did the it com- How did it compare? Because I haven't read the first book. So look, I mean, let's let's first start with what did we think of the content of this person's life before we can compare it to the other Whoa. piece. I mean, because that's what we're, we're looking at. That's what we're thinking about in his, you know, this is the contents of a, of a 20-year slice of this person's life almost. Um, what do we make right. of Leonard Cohen from reading Michael Posner? Oh, wow. Um, I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan, so I will play his music throughout. I love everything about him, and I've read different biographies of his life, like um, the Sylvie Simon, I'm Your Man one. The Sylvie Simmons one's really nice, yeah. It was really nice. So it's like I've kind of idolized him through a lot of my life, and I'm going to admit that this was rather shocking. A lot of allegations that were made throughout his book, throughout this particular book, um, I'm going to, you know, he was kind of a dick throughout. He treated a lot of the women in his life terribly. And some of them would say, oh, you know, it's just the times. It was the 70s. It was the 80s where, you know, men just treated women like that. And I think it was beyond that. He would just discard women willy-nilly, left and right. He would be with one woman. Then he'd be with the next woman. And he kind of used and abused a lot of women. But the thing that was the most shocking was this allegation of sleeping with underage girls. And I've never, ever heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, can we play a clip actually of the author um, saying that there's an interview that we have from the CJN Daily um, with the author uh, himself um, talking about things might be uh, shocking to people who are reading this book? I mean, nobody actually accuses him of sexual abuse. Yes, there probably were some underage women. I don't know how many, but there seem to have been at least one and, and perhaps more. Um, but even those, I would say, I mean, apart from the you know, magnetism of the man and his star power and the rock star issue. Um, there was it, there was not an issue of consent. I'm not suggesting that these women, even the young women, didn't consent. And certainly anybody of age did consent. There's no suggestion that he's remotely like Harvey Weinstein or Roman Polanski or, or Jeffrey Epstein. I, I don't 
I don't think he was trafficking in, in you know, young women. And what really is interesting to me is that even these women who had negative experiences with him, and there aren't that many, but there are some, even those um, are, are willing to say wonderful things about him, that he was, you know, among the most important men that they've ever met, that he had a profound influence on their on their lives, on their on the direction that their lives took, on their way of being, that uh, he was a very special character. So, so I, I, I think it would be wrong for people to conclude, even on the basis of these few stories that I have in the book, that yes, he did have a Lothario dimension and he had a strong uh, libido and sex drive and he was promiscuous as hell, but he treated women very, very well in the main. Yeah, Alana, you were saying. I was just going to say that actually listening back to that exact clip that we just played uh, put a lot into context where he was saying, you know, Fans might not be very happy with what they learn about this book, and that's, you know, their right to be upset. Um, I, I'm curious, what are your relationships with uh, Leonard Cohen? David, you said that you were always a big fan. What about you, Evie? Was um, his music something that you grew up with? I didn't grow up with his music necessarily. Um, as an adult, I came to his music. Um, and as an adult, probably living in the States was where I started really wrapping my head oh, around, wow. Interesting. you know, the phenomenon. Because, I don't know, I think it wasn't really on my radar when I was... I think the first album that I remember seeing or thinking about that came out during my adulthood was 10 New Songs. And that was already the resurgence of his new uh, like phase of his career. And it's great. It's it's really great. But like the the culture of being around Leonard Cohen was not really or, or around the, the ideas and the, the poems and that right. even though my, my father is a librarian. Right. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I actually this is an idea that I, I had thought of and developed as I, you know, was thinking about Leonard Cohen when I was living in the States in the past 10, 15 years uh, was more about the fact that like, look, this is a guy who grew up um, probably five kilometers away from my father, but um, worlds apart, right? There's Mile End, right? And then there's Westmount. And they are both uh, children of people in the clothing trade. Um, but again, Westmount, Mile End. They're both people who loved books and words. Um, Westmount and Mile End, what ends up happening is one becomes a librarian, a, a really good, excellent um, career reference librarian um, of Jewish ideas. And one becomes um, like an international sex symbol. Um, and, you know, I the parallels were, were really interesting. And I, it's not like this person was just a sexier version of my dad. I don't see Leonard Cohen as a father figure, but I just see it as an archetypal, oh, this is Montreal. This is what happens when you grow up in Montreal and, you know, you go to McGill in literature and you go mm-hmm. and you have the, the life of privilege um, that he did. And, you know, this ends up happening. So I thought about it a lot and then a little more because I now, um, my wife works at the congregation where, um, and I, I pray the congregation where he grew up and, you know, the, the, the imagery is there and the ideas are there and this it showed up in the late in the right a lot of he had his bar mitzvah there right he had everything there it was like this was where he he grew up so much of life and that's where so much of the first volume is but we can we can hold off on that um you know what's interesting about this volume is that it takes up this moment where he takes this incredible promise right he's just finished his first like i said his international tour and he has this 20-year period where it's just like a rocket ship and a roller coaster um at the same time right depths of depression highs of highs um doing these tours making this music and then um it ends at this point where we're not quite sure um what's going to be and we all know because you know the, the story is there um i was really struck actually by one quote that really summed up the entire book 
um, in in a nutshell for me. And it's somebody that you probably both yes. of you know, uh, Maurice Podbury. Former right? artistic uh, director of Maurice the Centro Theatre. Maurice Podbury is the, of the Centro Theatre. And they ha- he's talking about this play that they had been putting on about his book. And, and Maurice Podbury goes and says, the central point is that there was no real drama in Leonard's life. He was a rich kid from Montreal whose ideal probably was to have a perfect org- orgasm. You can't really write a play about that. And, and I think that that's what we're struggling with in this book, right? At least in the in the middle volume, is that there is no drama. He's just a guy who sleeps with a lot of women, and the the tension, for me at least, where I felt it was like, oh my god! So this is a lech, right? He's a really dirty old man by any other standard. But the author and all of the women try to make clear that oh no 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 no, it was all consensual. They all loved it. They were happy to have done their one you know you know night with Leonard, and then they moved on for the most part. And he was really charming and he was nice. So it wasn't like it you know came off as dirty or disgusting. He was just a real fan of women and loved sex and orgasms and was wanting to do that again and again and again with everybody. So at the end of the day, it's all like the, don't me too Leonard Cohen because of this book because everybody liked it. And I'm like really yeah. is are, are you sure that's like exactly how it goes and i'm not quite sure um yeah yeah well what do you uh i think that's a really thing as these allegations and revelations come out will people try to cancel leonard what will go on you know everything we're, we're putting up monuments you know the pictures on in montreal too what will people start to think and will his name ever get changed over a period of time i i think it's beyond that in all honesty i uh I think that this book is, like I said, trying really hard to say, don't cancel this person because he was, this was a different age and um, the women were approaching it in a different age. I I can assure you that that if he was this person, no matter how charming he was, um, and he would be living in 2021, you would be having very different reactions to the women that were, um, you know, that he was approaching and speaking to, no matter how charming and interesting and polite and gentlemanly and all this stuff. It's not behavior that works in today's society necessarily, at least not amongst the literary set. Um, But the author is making many, like, really going to pains to say, listen, right, this is a man who just did what he did and everybody liked him for it and that was it. I just found that this 20 years shows to me that this is like, my God, there's no poetry here. The poetry is just coming from this place of like creating, you know, constructed reality. Um, both in his life and in other people's lives, and the depression is there, but it's just being offset by, you know, alcohol and drugs and women. Oh, it's a drug. Um, and, yeah, and, and that that's, you know, where great poetry comes from. <laughs> really? I had no idea. Thank you. There, there is one thing that, I, that stood out for me, Avi, in terms of a quote where, you know, they were asking Leonard questions about it, and he said, my own tradition, the Hebraic tradition, suggests that you have to sit next to the disaster and lament. You don't avoid the situation. You throw yourself into it fearlessly. And I believe that sort of did sum up Leonard Cohen and the music and the poetry that he he felt he wanted to bring up. I find really to wrap it up is the the idea that he didn't, um, this is something that somebody else writes, that he didn't know how to communicate in an honest and direct way, right? That the poetry was the depths of his soul, but it in and of itself is a way in which he masked his own emotions and feelings in a way that can be put out in a public way. Um, but when it came to human interaction, um, this was right. a, honestly sometimes incredibly charming, but deeply flawed 
human. Uh, I cannot, for one, wait for the third volume simply because I want to see where the denouement is, right? If it started in a very interesting way with this kid that was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about Judaism, about life, um, and then we have this dark sort of middle period, um, let's see what happens with the third. Uh, maybe we'll review it. Maybe we'll bring him on for the third volume, uh, the closing of this story. Um, that's it. The book is called Leonard Cohen Untold Stories, Volume 2, From This Broken Hill. The author is Michael Posner. Uh, you can read an excerpt of the book on the CJN website, and you can hear an interview with Michael Posner on our sister podcast, The CJN Daily with Ellen Bessner, uh, to let us know what you thought, because um, we'd love to hear your thoughts, or to try to win a copy of your own. Email us at bonjour at thecjn.ca, bonjour at thecjn.ca, to win a copy. David, hi. what happens when you decide that your budget is beyond the base level of buying a watch? I, um, I get all teary-eyed and choked up, I would say. Yeah. And you would go to Atelier Lou, and they might show you one of two watches, depending on if you're a dressy watch kind of guy or a rugged, military-inspired sort of watch. Because you can only be one or the, one or the other, right? rugged or really classy i think you can buy two watches and there's an argument to be made to have two watches one for nice occasions and one for every day um, for your alter what if ego I have, like two at the same time on my wrist i sometimes do that with my apple watch and a nice watch um you know uh, because i want to be tracking my something or other or using it as a bluetooth for my headphones uh, with the apple watch but i like my watches so i'll wear i'll wear one on each wrist but in any case um, I want to highlight two watches today, um, or two brands of watches um, that are in a slightly higher price point, um, or they can be, um, but offer amazing value for what they are from Atelier Lou. Um, one is a brand called Luminox, which is uh, mi very military inspired. Uh, a lot of Marines, a lot of military um, uh, militaries from various countries use Luminox because these are virtually indestructible watches. They have, they can be seen at night in the dark um, for hours and hours and hours, so you don't have to worry about, you know, squinting to look at the time. Um, these things will last through anything. You can drop them. I don't know if you can drive a car over them, but probably close. Um, they look kind of have that, you know, rugged, uh, black rubber, you know, inspired, but they have other interesting looks as well. Um, they're a quartz watch. They're not an automatic, but what you get in the um, quartz is you get a really high quality movement with a great um, look that is really, you know, goes great with a t-shirt and pair of jeans and have that like, you know, beating around sort of like, a, you know, having fun sort of look. Ole Matheson, on the other hand, is completely the opposite. They are, um, they have, they are the official watchmakers for the, um, I believe the Danish um, monarchy, and they uh, have these beautiful, sleek, thin, elegant watches that are also a quartz movement. But again, whatever you don't have in an automatic movement, they are more than making up for in beautiful um, case making. Um, these things are thin, beautiful. Like you look at them and they um, they scream quality. They scream like elegance. They would not look out of place with an evening gown or a tuxedo, um, or just as easily with a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. Um, you know, I, I own a watch of theirs. Uh, they are really, really nice. Um, but that's what you get at Atelier Lou when you able to like go up a little bit and decide, hey, maybe I want to up my watch game a bit more and not just get a basic watch. Um, so 
Yeah. Are you are you more of a rugged? Are you you thinking more of like, uh, or, or are you going to need two watches now, David? You know, when I go out and hunt in in the mountains of Banff, I will need that rugged military watch for <laughs> sure. When I'm just you know walking down Stephen Ave in Calgary, you know something a little more casual, possibly. And, and you might need an elegant watch, you know, to to get married. In. That too. That is coming quicker and quicker. Oh boy. Anyways, um, where would I get these watches, Alana? That is a great question, Avi. Um, you can go uh, either in person at Atelier Lou Bijou Tree, which is in Westmount, Quebec, home of Leonard Cohen, or home was the home of Leonard Cohen. Um, or you can go on the website, atelierlou.com. Lou is L-O-U. And if you use the code BON18 at checkout, you can get 10% off your order. In addition to all the wonderful Black Friday deals that I'm sure he's going to be offering uh, over this weekend. So definitely go check those out. I'm sure there's stuff on sale on the website. And uh, we love Atelier Lou. So the only thing that seems to be eclipsing the Hallmark holiday movie industry is pundits talking about Hallmark holiday movies. And with their recent wading into the world of Hanukkah, it stands to reason that we should have our say as well. Menorahs and mistletoe, love, lights, Hanukkah! And this year's offering, uh, eight gifts of Hanukkah, I'll take the classic Christmas movies and add a heaping teaspoon of Judaism without removing the real reason for the season. So, so what to make of these movies? Are they a sincere effort to educate middle America about the Seleucid Greek takeover of a small province of Jews and their successful revolt and rededication of the temple? Or is it just another way to wade into the shallow waters of pseudo-diversity? Um, before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's play a clip um, so we can get a sense of what these movies are all about. David Berger isn't gonna know what hit him. I'm getting kind of excited. I hear there's an opening in design if you land the All for Toys account. So just get this guy on the hook and you're a shoe in just so happens I throw a small annual holiday party. Why don't you come? I would love to. Brush up on your traditions. We expect everyone to participate. That's the event of the season. Make sure you study up. I don't need to study up. I'm a Christmas boss. But can you light the menorah? What's that now? David didn't invite you to his Christmas party. He invited you to his Hanukkah party. What am I going to do? I know nothing about Hanukkah. Alex is history teacher. Alex loves him. He's smart, knowledgeable, handsome. Samantha, what is your point? And Jewish. So guys. Help me out here. I have lots of thoughts, um, but opinions are still in formation. You are the actors. Um, what do you think of these movies? Are, are they good for the Jews? Oh, I have lots of opinions and lots of thoughts. Um, I think when you said teaspoon, that's very accurate. Because I have to say, so I watched my first Hallmark in preparation for this episode. I know that they exist. I've auditioned for them like a small handful of times, like less than um, the amount of fingers on one hand. Um, at first, when I heard about these movies coming out like a few years ago, I got really excited because I'd never really seen a Hallmark film and I thought, wow, that's so fun. They're gonna do a Hanukkah one. I wonder if I could get an audition for that. And then the movies got cast and came out. I did not get an audition. And I saw tons and tons of articles about how problematic they were and how there was this one film where the Jews only were blue and white and they seemed to like not know anything about Christmas, which is just absurd to me because we live in a world where you cannot ignore Christmas. Like you go into a grocery store, like it's everywhere. Um, so I just thought that was really over the top. And then I, I watched two. Well, I watched half of two, most of one of them. I watched Holiday Date. I couldn't even get through one. It was fun. Um, I yelled at the screen a lot. Um, I watched Holiday Date and Love Lights Love Hanukkah. 
And it was so interesting because Holiday Date was uh, created in 2019 and the other one was created in 2020. And you could see that they definitely took in some of the criticism because Holiday Date was (laughs) really bad. There was just, it was a Christmas movie about um, this girl whose boyfriend decides to break up with her right before the holidays. So she like meets this guy who's a Jew and is, but she doesn't know he's a Jew. And she's like, Oh my God, you're an actor. Can you pretend to be my boyfriend so I can take you home? And then they're like out. And he's like, Oh, I've never strung lights before. And like, can't seem to get it on properly. Cause like, Oh, maybe Jews don't know how to string lights. And he tries to make a ginger. Just for accuracy's sake, by the way, just for accuracy's sake. um, If somebody asked you to be, uh, to be acting for 24 hours a day for eight days straight, how much would that like equity rate? Like what's the, what would that cost somebody to go and say, Hey, can you do this for me? That's overtime and everything. You'd have to consult with, with the actra and how much you're getting, but that's, that's a lot of moolah in the bank for Hanukkah. It would be a lot of money. It'd be a lot of money. (laughs) Wait, I'm getting to the best part though, is that, I literally filmed it on my phone because I couldn't believe it. It's like, there's like all this part where we're like, oh, why is he so uh, like uneducated about Christmas? Like, how come he doesn't know the words to Jingle Bells or whatever? And then all of a sudden she like pulls him to the corner and is like, I don't understand. You told me you were Mr. Christmas. And he's like, I'm Jewish. And she's like, oh. And it's just Spoiler. like this moment where I'm like, uh... Um, and then he's like, but I've always wanted to do Christmas and now is my chance. And then like the mom suddenly like learns about Sufganiyot and like the history of Hanukkah. But then they sing like, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And at the end, the mom goes, and a happy Hanukkah. Like it just felt like they were trying to like assimilate in all of the things. It was like a Christmas movie with like a little teaspoon, like you said, of like a Jewish character. But I found it so problematic that the whole concept was like that he had to hide his Judaism. And like when the fam, it's almost like it was like a movie about someone coming out of the closet. And it's like, oh, you're a Jew. Oh, my God. But then the minute that he did, it's like, we love this. But Great. Atlanta, Let's I wanna, try to find ways to I, make it more Christmassy. I want to cut in here. I, I want to ask, do you think you're thinking of these movies or watching these movies through a very Jewish lens as opposed to a, a Christian lens from like Dayton, Ohio? So I'm just wondering, it's like if this is the first yeah, introduction. Yeah, but then why make them? Why, They're for Christmas mi- movies. You make them for middle America as a first introduction to these are Jews who live in New York City and LA. And I that just, have to hide their Judaism? Like, I think that's that, what that movie gave me. No. No, I mean, okay, there's holidays. And then assimilate and learn all about Christmas and yeah. be so Christmassy. But but when I was watching these movies last year and I binged on them all throughout Christmas and Hanukkah last year, here's the thing that I saw when I was watching it, especially in mistletoe and menorahs. Sort of all these traditions are really much, ex- all these Jewish cultural, religious significance, they're really treated with you know, with a lot of reverence in a sense, right? These are our traditions. These are our values. This is why it's important to us religiously, as opposed to when you think about what does it mean to Christmas, everything about Christmas is secularized. Jesus does not ever factor in at all, at all to these kind of ideas. And if I was- It's a subtext. It's a subtext. But if I was a Christian watching this, I'd say, oh, wow, I'm learning so much about the Jewish culture, the Jewish history of these important religious holidays. What sure. happens? What happens with Jesus? Jesus gets axed completely from everything. And all Christmas turns into is snow and hot chocolate. I would be offended watching these if I was a Christian. But I have to say that I think the fact that they're making Hanukkah so overblown. And Avi, I really want to hear your your, your two cents on this. Because I know you're writing an article about being oh, the Hanukkah I, Grinch. I've been, 
biding oh, my no. time. <laughs> but um, like it just blew my mind. Like Life, Love, Hanukkah. I actually knew some of the actors who played like the Jewish family. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And it felt like they tried a little bit harder. The movie came out in 2020. But then I was like, why are they treating this like it's like a Passover Seder? Or it's like they were like oh my god, like, Hanukkah is so great. And then, like, another one of the family members is like, and it's only the first night. Like, nobody feels that way about Hanukkah, except for, like, five-year-old kids. My mother, my mother feels that way about the first night of Hanukkah, I'll have you know. I know, but it's, like, not, like, everyone was, like, formal wear. And it's, like, that's not what Hanukkah is. It's a misrepresentation, and it's making it, like, the equivalent of Jewish Christ, of, like, a Jewish Christmas, which Wait, it's not. You don't, you don't dress up in, in black tie for candle lighting in your home? <laughs> But then neither do Christians. Am I doing it wrong? Too. Oh my God, Avi, please, please cut in. Okay, so look, I, I thought about this a lot. Um, I'm only in the past week because this was completely not on my radar until then. Um, Good, it shouldn't be. Let's take a step back and ask ourselves, what is the role of a Hallmark movie, right? And I, I would answer that. I would posit to answer that that a Hallmark movie is a greeting card that lasts 85 minutes. It is. Right? Yeah. And it's an idealized yep. form mm-hmm. of a sentiment, um, the same way that a greeting card is. It's designed to sell an idea and an image, and it is not designed to sell reality. It is a heightened, really um, I, strange, otherworldly form of reality that, like as you said, has to be wholesome. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people that are boyfriend and girlfriend in the, like, in the movies are only allowed to give each other a peck on the cheek. Um, I was very conscious of this, as it should be for the holidays. Which is- yeah, well, it's a very it's very Christian oriented. They try to keep it like very very PG. Christians PC. have sex also, and there's PC, some pretty PC. raunchy Christians. Well, not these. <laughs> exactly, ones. it is a not certain slice ones. of America that it is appealing to. And if you ask me, why did they do Hanukkah movies? I am sure that they market researched the hell out of this. They did not go and say, hey, let's do some Hanukkah movies. They went and they focus grouped it and they decided what it was, what Hanukkah meant to people, how much, how Jewy it could be, how unJewy. There, there was a lot of work that went into this and to make it as greeting cardy as possible. Now, if you're going to... What about the Hanukkah wreaths? There were Hanukkah wreaths and baubles on the table. But, I was like, this is just Christmas, but with blue and white. But that's what Hanukkah is for a lot of people, to be fair. And that's okay. how you... For, yeah, if you, if you go to America, for American Jews maybe. Right, and isn't that a bit problematic? I'm not gonna judge other people's Judaisms. Um, maybe you will, but <laughs> I mean, we could jump into uh, late I'm stage kidding. capitalism and how everything is the problem that we way. We absolutely could, because look, and and I, I've spoken about this. I have another podcast uh, called Hyphen. I, I brought it up in the podcast, and we have a Hanukkah Christmas episode where I talk mm. to an Anglican, uh, to a Christian about this, and we have a great conversation. And you know, he's like, look, the whole Christmas industry is basically relatively new. European and primarily based on capitalism, right? It comes from Victorian England. All of these tropes that we have about what Christmas looks like in North America comes from Victorian England, comes from this certain age when um, when commercialism was big and where they were trying to sell stuff. And and the nostalgia is huge in there. And it's not about Christianity doesn't loom large in a lot of the Christmas, as you said, right? So in that sense, if you're coming up with a Hanukkah analog, then great. That's the same analog that you're having um, on the on the Jewish side. The question is, what is the purpose of this movie and or these movies? Uh, I would I, I would ha- likely say right, and I, I could be completely wrong, but my guess is is that these films are being made in order to introduce um, a Jewish idea 
to Christians. Yes. It is not these are book, these are movies that are not meant for Jews. Although they know that Jews are going to watch them the same way that Jews right. watch Christmas movies. So in that sense, it's there. Right. The the thing the the one piece where I started having some hesitations um, was that the Hanukkah and the Hebrew and the Jews and, and Jews in general are very patronizing, right? They're very patronizing to the Jews and. There's a piece in there, there's a subtext in there that makes me think about this is making Christians feel better about their Christianity, right? We have these token yes, exactly we have these token Jews. Um, they're doing this thing. It's really nice. It's beautiful. We come from there, and and there's a lot of deep theology around um, you know chosenness that is yeah. that again I speak about on this podcast, and you guys should go and check out uh, hyphen yes, um, hi- yeah. search for hyphen Jewish Living Lab um, on this because we have a Hanukkah episode coming out next week about this very topic. Um, but the idea of chosenness is very difficult for a lot of Christians, and not necessarily Christians that are thinking theologically about stuff in Hallmark movies. Um, but this que- because they are clearly not you know I'm sorry for throwing them under the bus but this is not deep in any way. Um, this is feel good. Um, but I think that this is a way, in some way, there's a subtext about Christians trying to feel good about their own Christianity by saying, yes, we now know about Judaism. Um, we are coming coming from the Jews. Yeah. Um, it's good to know that they're around. It is the easy one to deal with as opposed to dealing with um, Kwanzaa or Diwali um, or any of the... But they've know, started. Or, or something they've Muslim started that's dealing coming with up. that as well too on Hallmark. They they started and but I think it's easy to start yeah, with the Jews that, right because we're easy. it's sort of in the right. culture easy like Sunday morning <laughs> but Sunday morning Sunday morning is bagels and locks that's what Leonard that's what Lionel Richie is singing about let's be honest <laughs> um, um, so but look it's just you know but on the other hand I'm saying to myself if really this is just designed as a Hallmark card why would you get offended at a Hallmark card if somebody gave you a Hallmark card with some really um, cliched ideas about Hanukkah on it, would you get all offended about it? You'd be like, no, this is clearly, you know, something not designed to be deep, not designed to be, it's designed to be heightened. It's designed to be sellable. How else are you going to sell a piece of cardboard for $5, right? So this is what this movie looks like to me. If I got a card that said, I wish you a Merry Hanukkah, that's what that movie encompassed to me. And I would be a little bit weirded out. You're saying you would if roll- If someone gave me, I wish you a Merry Hanukkah. Alana, you would yeah. roll your eyes- and throw throw it in the garbage two seconds. I wouldn't later. throw it in the garbage, but I would I would probably take a picture and send it to some people and be like, "Whoa, okay, what is this?" <laughs> Do you get offended by the obligatory Jewish Hanukkah song on the Christmas albums that are like nowadays? You kind of have to do that. Is if that you're a thing? Jewish. I don't know. I don't listen to. Christmas oh my god! Music. Everybody does it now. The Pentatonics sometimes have a Hanukkah song on there. They'll or the or Adina Menzel's Hanukkah album has it. Barbara Streisand yeah, puts out a Hanukkah that's album. The... Christmas. No, I'm saying if you're yeah. Jewish and you put out a Christmas album, yeah. you end up putting an obligatory me. Hanukkah song yeah, on there. Yeah, all of it bothers me because it just feels like we're commercializing Hanukkah the same way that Christmas is commercialized. That's my take. And is that is that the worst worst thing possible? I don't no, think so. No, but I just I just find it very assimilated and Americanized. What would you rather be commercialized in the Jewish world? Would you rather like Tisha B'Av get all commercialized? Why do we need to I'm be kidding. commercialized? I don't want anything <laughs> to be commercialized. Have a merry fast. Yeah, I look. There's yeah, 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 there's yeah. gonna be things that happen like this, and I just feel like if you don't want fighting it, just doesn't do anything, and it just you know I'd rather just ignore it and let it go. Yeah. And not have to think about it. If they're going to do it, they might as well, if they're going to do it, they might as well do it well. And that's why, like, I'll give a little bit of kudos that I could see a very visible difference between the movie done a year before and the one after. And I could tell that they'd done more research because the second movie, the Lights, Love, Hanukkah, whatever it's called, like, it felt more Jewish. Whereas the first movie was like a Christmas movie with a token Jew. 
<laughs> this one has an interesting plot line. They all merge together. So Lights Love Hanukkah is the one about this girl who like thinks that she's Italian. She's adopted. Oh yes. And then she does a and DNA test. She just does a DNA test. She's Jewish. And your DNA test was just going to introduce you to your birth mother <laughs> randomly, and within a week you find out that this is the you know your, your deeply birthright. Uh, exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that one. So, that was the that was the most special. To um. Me. The the plot line is really iffy, but I actually found that. What I love that, like, is her name is Christina. It was like Christina. actually a Hanukkah movie. Her name is I know, Christina. and she's and in the other movie, you the non Jewish I... one, her name is Krista. Right? This is like, yeah. oh my god, how yeah. can you underline also, this more? Also, like, I don't know about some of the other ones, but out of the two that I watched, it, it was like this idea of like Jews can't be blonde. Because, like, they were like, oh, wait, we thought she was Italian. Oh, that makes sense. She's just a Jew. Wait, Jews can't be blonde? <laughs> they don't, all the brunette characters in these in these movies that are the Jewish ones are all, like, they're all the, yeah, all the brunettes yeah, are know, Jewish. Know, know, it's, the blonde characters. It's maybe a rule. I have a friend who, who says, who has this, he has this thing, he says, um, the stereotypical Jewish woman is a short, curly-haired woman named Rachel, who's perpetually killed. <laughs> I tick some of those boxes. But um, yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's just like, come on. Yeah. Alana. What's up? What's up? Alana, hypo- hypothetically, this time next year, you are offered a lead role in the next Hallmark holiday movie. I think I would, Will I you would have to it? heavily vet the script. And if I found that it was commercializing or doing anything that I found problematic, I would turn it down. Wow. Okay. No, I'm, I'm willing to sell my soul to Hallmark next year. Have fun. Thank you. You heard it here. I'm, I'm glad I'm not an actor and have to come up with this question. The one thing that I want to bring up that's in these um, that is not related to what we've spoken about yet. Um, what's weird is the the interfaith relationships um, that has this weird Oh, yeah, that's really, really big now in, in the Hallmark. Hallmark world. No, but it's more like, okay, well, you're Jewish. Um, now that you're Jewish, we found you out that you're Jewish, and you're going to fall in love with the you know, the food critic that that is Jewish, but now it's acceptable, but it's only acceptable because like he's yeah. sort of going goyish, right? But he's he's like, she's sort exactly. of shiksa, but she's not. And then hold on. And then what the, f- in the other one, what's the movie that takes that with the toys, with the designing oh, and the, the woman who loves Christmas? Everybody loves Christmas so much. Did you see this one, David? Um, is no, this holiday no, date? No. no, the other one. Uh, mistletoe? Mistletoe and menorahs and mistletoe. Yes. I love that one too. Oh my god, Teresa Tova, the 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 worst Judaica store (laughs) in the history of history. (laughs) By worst, you mean the best. I want to go to that store. They're walking on a mall, and then all of a sudden, they walk into the 19th century. It's like they're in the. I wish Calgary. (laughs) I wish Calgary had that Judaica store. I'm desperate for more Judaica. I have to go to Indigo. Complete with Teresa Tova as the like shop owner and grandmother <laughs> of the person, you know, of the of the token Jew. Yeah. But hold on. But like in there, what happened was it's like they there's this like switching. Right. It's like she is um, they break. She breaks up with somebody um, and falls in love with the other guy. Now you think like, oh, my God. Now the, the other guy, it's not right because it's like it's an interfaith relationship. We, we should like discuss this and think about it. Not that there's anything wrong with it, David. Um, but like just it has it's like it's an awareness of something. But then you realize, no, no, no. What happened is, is that he broke up with his other non-Jewish girlfriend to go with this non-Jewish girlfriend, like new girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, OK, fine. So it's like, you know, but but they're all that's the ultimate crossover because these are all about romance. These are all rom-coms around Christmas. And the way in which you get romance, uh, you, you get Hanukkah in is if you have a Jewish love interest for one of them and not for both. Well, yeah, this is a big uh, problem I, in like the in, um, interracial couples 
phenomena that's going on like in Hallmark and also in the film industry is like a lot of people are like why can't they both be of like a minority group like why is it always like the white guy with like the Asian girl or blah 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 so it's that's the other thing I noticed is that the minorities are always the assistant to the lead yeah that's a it's a big problem in the industry right now that people are trying to work through but I know like having been involved with like the union um when I was like living in BC um, we sent a strongly uh, worded letter to Hallmark around diversity. I did not spearhead this because I couldn't give two craps about Hallmark. But um, a lot of people were like talking about how like if you're going to do diversity, do it right and don't don't tokenize. Not around Jewish stuff, but like just generally because like for many many decades of whatever how long Hallmark's been around, like it's been historically just like white Christians, and now they're trying to like bring diversity, but there's a learning curve. There's a learning curve because they they know their they know their market and they know that there are talking about the interfaith couples there are interfaith couples who are going to be sitting down this holiday season to, and want to watch some nice movies where right. there is a Jew and a, a Christian a, getting involved. I I just think that I I'm re- really willing to let go of the authenticity. I will roll my eyes at how ridiculous it is, but I have no problem with the quote unquote authenticity of this all because, like I said, it's a greeting card get like it's not reality the same way that it is not a, it's not a accurate representation of christmas it's not an ap- accurate representation of hanukkah and that that's not it's not okay but it's not not okay it just is what it is like that's that's the genre do we go and look for accurate representations when we're looking at uh, horror films or sci-fi right it's a genre right and christmas movies have become a genre and I, i'm not going to you know look for plot holes all the time in them i i mean notice them i love how like to me like the 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 other classic trope that i love is how the non-jew or the new jew ends up like the arc of the movie can always be told by how well they are saying the blessings on the on the hanukkah (laughs) (laughs) but that is the entirety of the arc of the movie is it starts with the butchering of the blessings and then it ends with the flawless mellifluous voice of whoever's singing it to sing it in front of everybody and is like oh that's a jew right <laughs> i want that job on the movie set to i don't be like, think you no, 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 you're saying it wrong i don't think david you're capable of butchering a blessing because you know it too well Baruch Adonai, no, you've said it perfect coach you've said that. it perfectly butcher it pretend it is your first time ever coming across these words uh, uh, Baruch Eta Edonai. Too Jewy. Alana? Uh, I pass. <laughs> you pass. No, I'm saying, do you concur that, like, if you know the blessing too too well, if you know something too well, right. it's hard to, like, it's like it's hard I mean, to sing out of tune when you are, right, yeah, when yeah, you yeah, have, yeah. when you are a great musician. Anyways, um, let's leave it at that. They are, I think that. I mean, I think that they are. I'm indifferent to it. I think that it is not good or bad. It just is. Um, and <laughs> that's one way to approach it. I, I they're just you know, there. If you want to see a we great, we don't know how we feel about if, them. If you want to see a great Hanukkah movie, watch the Hebrew Hammer. Here, here. I like the Rugrats Hanukkah special. Oh, that's okay. my favorite. Sure. If you're, you know, a certain age. Did you never? Have you ever seen the Hebrew Hammer? I actually have not. Oh my that's God. the Adam Sandler one, right? No, no, no. No. It's the juice exploitation no. flick. It's with um, what's his name? Uh, Goldberg. Um, Adam Goldberg. What's his name? Adam Goldberg. Oh, yeah, I got the Adam, Adam right. Um, it's like takes black exploitation movies, but takes all of the like African American tropes out and puts in Jewish ones. Like the guy walks into like the bar with a big long black leather coat, and he goes, "I'll have the Manischewitz." The black label. Oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard people quote that before. I've heard of the movie, but I never watched. Go it. Go check it out. Um, 
I mean, it's fun, but nobody will question, right, the authenticity of it all because it's a joke. And as if it's not a joke, but it's still like something that's fake, then that's it. Uh, I think I'm indifferent. Alana, you're a thumbs up. You're a thumb, big thumbs down. Sounds like. Huge, huge. David, big thumbs yeah. up. Big. I will be watching all the Hallmark holiday movies this season. Uh, so join me. Let's watch them together. We are split equally on um, these Hall- uh, these Hallmark movies. We want to know what you think. Tell us your thumbs up, thumbs down, indifference. Um, you can email us at bonjour at the cjn.ca to let us know your thoughts uh, or join the Slack and discuss it with all the other listeners. We had some interesting comments actually on the Slack about Hollywood representation, um, but we'd love to hear on the Slack channel what you think about this or just send us an email, bonjour at the cjn.ca. Now we're at the time in our show when we talk about our nachas, the thing that makes us feel good um, over the past week or over the coming week. Um, David, what's your nachas? I have two nachas, or is it nachim? How do you pluralize nachas? Nachases? Nachases. Okay, I have two nachases this week then. Uh, this week, I think in Yiddish it would still be tzvei nachas. But... Tzvei nachas. Right. But if we're anglicizing the Yiddish, there's a lot of layers to that. This can be a whole discussion. So uh, this week I attended virtually the 21st annual Calgary Jewish Film Festival. Before this year, I didn't even know there was a Calgary Jewish Film Festival. Uh, I saw the movie The Sublet by Eitan Fox. Eitan Fox is probably best known for his movies Walk on Water and The Bubble and Yossi. Um, This movie was about a New York Times writer, travel writer, who comes to Tel Aviv after suffering a tragedy. Um, and sort of gets to know the energy of the city, and he develops a relationship with a younger man that helps sort of bring him back back to life. Um, it wasn't my favorite movie from Eitan Fox. It was very simple. It was very direct. It was more about what Tel Aviv looks like in the 21st century. It was kind of like an in and out. There were no surprises. It, was, it wasn't as deep or complex as I thought it could be, but it was still great to know that there is a Calgary Jewish Film Festival. And my second nachis, is everyone ready? Because guess what latest single was just dropped this week? Any guesses? What? The, the Maccabees. The Maccabees yes. are yes, back. Yes, levitating, just in illuminating. Time. <laughs> illuminating. I was so excited. To, I, I think I saw it last night. So um, they are doing the song based on Levitating by the Dua, Dua Lipa song, Levitating. If you can, just go to YouTube, check it out. It is rather awesome uh they're a bit older but they're just as schmitzy as ever oh my god i was it was exactly my thought i was like you know i'm it's gonna be a few years and they're gonna have grandchildren soon in the videos (laughs) some of them some of them definitely look like they have a few kids and they have not had sleep in several years yeah um great song a lot of fun alana what is your nachas um so uh, I really like reading Feller. I don't know if either of you follow Feller at all. I follow them on 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 I follow Instagram. All the time. Uh, something popped up the other day. One of my siblings really loved Blues Clues back in like the early 2000s. And there's like a revamp of it, uh, Blues Clues and You. And they're having a Hanukkah episode, um, which comes out on November 26th called A Blues Clues Festival of Lights. And it honestly kind of warmed my heart because like when the show, the original show came out, I was too old for it, but because my sibling was always at the TV watching and I ended up kind of watching it all the time. So I, I like kind of grew up with it anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know like the Rugrats, um, episodes with like the Jewish characters always really were very fun for me to watch as a kid. So I'm curious to see what they do with it. And there's like a a special song that they wrote. That's like all about like the lighting of the candles, um, so yeah, 
Super so you're cute. saying that um, Hollywood representation of Hanukkah and Jews <laughs> is okay as long as it's a <laughs> franchise that you are familiar with and love and is animated. Yeah, but this isn't like a Christian, like Hallmark card greeting card story where they're trying to appropriate things and assimilate. This is like they're introducing a character as being Jewish, and I think that's great. Like in, in tokenism, want to have nothing to uh, do with it. I'm kidding. I'm gonna, kidding. They're gonna have blue and blue and white wreaths all over the place for Blue's Clues. Honestly, maybe. Either way. Awesome. Avi, what's your nachas? My nachas. So um, again, sorry, but uh, I didn't know that this was gonna happen. But in the Hollywood, um, not quite tokenism, but uh, very Jewy sort of way, uh, has nothing to do with Hanukkah. I have been watching and enjoying. I watched. I heard the podcast when it first came out. They they turned into a um, a TV series now on Apple TV Plus. Um, it is good it is very good it is getting is about to get really dark what's it called um it's called the shrink next door have you seen or heard about this no paul rudd and will ferrell um it's really it's so jewy um i mean they all have very jewy accents um they're like wait paul rudd and will ferrell are either of them jewish paul rudd come on that's, I thought Paul Rudd And that's the other man. part of my, my, my nachis is that Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd was, was yeah. uh, recently voted the sexiest man alive by uh, People Magazine, which in and of itself, right, there's layers right. and subtext. We can get into all of that. Um, but Paul Rudd, good Jewish boy, um, sexiest man alive, apparently. Sorry, David. Um, and um, this, this, this shrink next door do- leans into the Judaism, but not in a heavy-handed way, in a way that is like really appropriate for the, um, for the scenery, for the... Uh, you know, the scenes that are going on, the bar mitzvah scenes, the um, later on scenes around uh, Judaism, uh, using Ramaz as a plot point, right, which is the famous Jewish um, school in Manhattan as like something that you aspire to get into. Um, it was it was appropriate. It wasn't over the top. Um, there were people that were asking about the over the topness of their accents. Um, I don't have to get into that. I think that sometimes over the top accents um, are useful because they they anchor you in something, right? Uh, House of Gucci, hello. Um, but if you've seen that trailer, it's like super heavy-handed. But that that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I just thought that the 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 story itself is great. The acting is great. And I love Paul Rudd. Um, so that's my novice of the week. Cool. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week of November 26th, Parashat by Yeshev. Our producer is Michael Freeman, technical production by Andre Goulet. Our music is by SoCal. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave us a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice. And as always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar.